this was recorded. Um, before we get into the whole episode, we're going to share a little recording that we did afterwards to discuss the making of the episode. Because you will notice we're humans and we made a lot of mistakes. So we're just going to break those down for you before you listen. And we ask you to listen with compassion as you would your other friends um, and learn from our mistakes. Maya uses spivic pronouns, which is E, M, air. Um, and, and the pronouns that are outside of the binary he, him, or he, she, and all of those are called, are considered neopronouns. And it's called Spivik because it was created by Michael Spivik in 1990, which these pronouns are older than the three of us. <laughs> so that's how long this neopronoun has been around. So we discuss in the episode, uh, how learning new pronouns can be a bit of a challenge and uh, an exercise in retraining your brain. Uh, this was my first experience with Spivic pronouns, and I made countless errors. Uh, so to clarify, the declension of Maya's pronouns would be E for the third person singular, M as an object, air for a possessive uh and the reflexive would be himself going off of the 1991 spivic pronouns so as you listen we hope that you give us some grace listen in good faith the goal is to better understand maya and the non-binary asexual experience um and to also better understand that we all need to practice Mm-hmm. This is a practice. Relationships are a practice. And building community is a practice. And um, and hopefully the next person who has a podcast about this book will make less mistakes than us. And mm-hmm. that is our hope. But go read this book. If you haven't already, stop the podcast. Go borrow it from a library. Buy it from a local bookstore. Read it. And then come back and listen. Or just listen. But we should really <laughs> bought the book. Anything else, Eden and Linnea? No, I think we got it. Okay. <clears throat> this is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This week's book is Genderqueer by Maya Kobabe, which was published in 2019. There's a little content warning on this uh, episode as well, as we'll be discussing the sexual content found in the book. And then joining us today is librarian Linnea Kemsley calling in from Madison, Wisconsin. Linnea, tell us about yourself and your connection to this book. Hello. Um, <clears throat> hi, I'm Linnea. I've <laughs> Uh, been working in libraries for the past 10 years now. Um, and that's, I've done uh, university libraries, rare books libraries, and also public libraries. So I, I guess I get to see a lot of the book challenges and stuff on the on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm uh, on the front lines. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> I offered to talk about Genderqueer because Genderqueer is a graphic memoir about um, growing up and 
exploring concepts of gender fluidity. And I myself identify as non-binary and asexual, like the author Maya Kobe, Kobabe does. Awesome. Thank you. I feel like I should. we should clarify this on the podcast. When we say graphic novel, graphic means... Like drawings. <laughs> a story in a pictures. A story in pictures. Yeah. Uh, rather than like, oh, that was, there's some graphic content in this thing or whatever. <laughs> that could just be English as a second language thing, but just wanted to clarify that as well for anyone else listening. Uh, Linnea, could you give us a, a, a summary of this memoir? Uh, yeah, sure. So it's less of a narrative and more a series of vignettes of Maya's experiences with gender throughout their life, including childhood and their teen years and as an adult. A few highlights would be joining their queer, sorry. Um, we should probably say that out front that uh, mm -hmm. Maya Kobabe uses a air pronouns. Mm -hmm. So joining Air Queer Straight Alliance in high school, which kind of became a Lord of the Rings club, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Exploring with gay ships and fan fiction, their experience of shopping uh, for gendered clothing, things like that. Um, also, I think we should speak to the fact that we know Linnea because yes. I was introduced to Linnea through... We all lived in the same dorm rooms, um, like the same little apartment our freshman year of college. And as I was reading this, I actually thought a lot about a conversation Lene and I had where we were talking about the difference between boys and girls. And you're like, I just don't feel like there is any difference. And I remember just being like floored. And I was like, yeah, I guess it's really forward thinking. But I didn't like, there was nothing in my like 2010 brain to be like, this might have to do with sexual um identity or you know, gender identity or um understanding of like whatever you know I just it, there was nothing deeper than like huh okay Linnea is really open-minded um <laughs> I think about that conversation all the time and I wonder if um if you're comfortable if we can like talk about you how you figured out where you stand in, on the spectrum of gender identity <laughs> that's how I know Linnea um, and Linnea and also made me a little uh, ceramic uh, like little cup that I still use for my makeup brushes <laughs> so, and I still think of you all the time whenever I pull out my makeup so thank you <laughs> uh, that is really adorable uh, Linnea and I know each other because we grew up together uh, I would say like what my best friend growing up just like going through the awkward phases of life together yeah, I just remember driving the 45 minutes to do sleepovers and That's just, so yeah, a lot of great times. Um, Linnea's also- A lot also, of Monopoly. A lot of Monopoly. <laughs> a lot of, we drew a lot of cartoons. We named ourselves Lime. Linnea, Ilia, Michaela, and Eden. That's so um, cute. And we, um, yeah, a lot of fond memories in that house. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's get talking. So first I thought we'd talk about, um, like, one thing to address at the outset is uh, what it means to identify as non-binary. Yeah. Um, and also, because this is also relevant to the book, what it means to identify as asexual. Yeah. So 
um, non-binary just means you consider yourself outside of the gender binary that is you are male or you are female, nothing in between. Now, there are many, many uh, ways of like sub-identifying within non-binary. Non-binary is like a big umbrella for just like not mm-hmm. those two. There are people yeah. who identify as agender, which means they're they have no gender, and there are people who identify as gender fluid, which means maybe day to day. Uh, how they identify changes. Mm-hmm. And there are people who identify as somewhere specifically on the gender spectrum that isn't at one of the two poles. Mm. Um, and then uh, I find that adults <laughs> tend to overcomplicate it a little bit sometimes. But whenever I'm describing this to one of my nieces or nephews, whenever one of them asks me, are you a girl yeah. or a boy? I yeah. say in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then moving on to asexuality. Asexuality is a lack of attraction, um, a lack of sexual attraction to other people of any gender. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that different than having just like a low libido? And yeah. these- historically, asexuality has often been pathologized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, a lot of people would say, oh, you don't want to have sex. You're not sexually attracted to other people. There's something wrong with you. And Mm -hmm. asexuality is more the celebration of that and uh, saying that uh, this isn't a problem to be fixed. It's just a different aspect of human experience. Um, Gosh, I love that so much. I do. Yeah, I love that too. (laughs) I do. Oh, I just think that like um, people that are more on those poles of, yeah, who are more involved in the binary, like who really identify with the binary can learn so much from this because how we have sex or how we engage with it or how we don't um, often determines our like ability to to fulfill those roles. Like as a woman, it's like, even when we talk about feminism, it's mostly about sex, about does she have the freedom to have sex? And it's never about does she want to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um. Gen- so asexuality is a sexual orientation, like yeah. being gay or bi, um, which means you do need to decouple it from the gender identity aspect, which is oh my like yes. a separate train track. Okay. You know? <laughs> Maybe, do you think, this is something I, want, I think we should give in our resources also, is just an explanation of these different train tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would probably because I'm be fumbling a good idea. it so hard, and I'm sure that would be helpful. <laughs> okay. So I apologize for my fumbles, but thank you for correcting me and helping. Yeah, me. Okay. no worries. So you can identify as female and asexual, yeah, or male and asexual, or non-binary and asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to further subdivide asexuality for for a moment, uh, mm-hmm. which is that some people who are asexual. Uh, experience romantic attraction while mm-hmm. some people who are asexual do not you'd be called aromantic if you have no interest in pursuing any romantic relationships whether mm-hmm. or not those include sex mm-hmm. um whereas for example for me i am asexual 
Um, but I consider myself homo romantic. So I am romantically attracted to men, which is, it's a little tricky because um, when you're non-binary, you can't be like, I'm gay or I'm straight because you're like, I'm, I like the, this subcategory of people. I I tend to identify as homoromantic because I feel like I lean very slightly in the masculine direction on the gender scale, and I am only romantically attracted to males. Interesting. Okay. I love this delineation. This is so helpful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hopefully. Yeah. It's not just confusing everything. But No. In a perfect world, to help like listeners who have never had these conversations, in a perfect world without, if in terms of how you operate, like, do you feel that these labels are helping you um, navigate patriarchal life or do you feel like having the delineation is necessary because of the patriarchy or do you feel like the patriarchy doesn't that's what I'm curious about too is like yeah so for me personally my personal feeling is I rely upon these labels in some context only because everyone assumes something else Mm. That's the only reason I need them for me. Yeah, I, I yeah, know yeah, for yeah. a lot of people, Other people it's, it's a different, story, yeah. different. But yeah. Um, so when I like call a salon and schedule a haircut, they ask, do you want a men's cut or a women's cut? And I say, well, I have short hair and I mm-hmm. describe my hair hairstyle. What do you think would be appropriate? You know? Yeah. Because they're they're different prices so it's yeah, like they are <laughs> that is a good point you want to be charged 100 dollars or 50 yeah. <laughs> exactly and i'm like well um... i would like to be charged just 50 <laughs> that's a good point yeah navigating those like just day-to-day little yes. little things yeah and for example when i go into a store uh to buy clothes um i tend to wear a lot of button downs, suspenders and waistcoats. Uh, So I'll go into the men's section. uh, But generally the sizes that they have don't correlate to the sizes I am. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You're a very small human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll go up to... Wait, even the word petite was gendered. I'm so sorry. Yeah, You're small. Oh, okay. as I was yeah. saying that too. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I was like, oh my goodness, Nicole. <laughs> yeah, you're small. So you'll go up to a sales clerk, and um, depending on what vibes you get and how safe you feel, you might say, "Oh, um, do you carry this item in your children's line? Do you have this in boys? You know." Or mm-hmm. if you're feeling very comfortable, you might be like, hi, I identify as non-binary. I love this. It won't fit me. What can we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I love that the label for you specifically um, is helpful just for, to navigate other people's reactions and responses. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an important thing because there's such an argument about like, why do people have to have labels? You know, and it's like, well, because the world <laughs> assumes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we assume and we treat people based off of that assumption. And yeah. to start bringing that to the book, uh, I think you'll, yes. you might remember the conversation um, that Maya has with a friend of Ayers. Uh, who's like, why do we have all these new terms? Like, why why do we have to say cisgendered? Like, yeah. And uh, 
the the friend is like because like aren't we all cisgender and maya's like actually no like i'm sitting right here yeah 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 Speaking, yeah, to this book is there are so many great examples of conversations that I know a lot of people have had. These are important conversations and Maya spells them out so well to the point where I think it could save a lot of people from having those conversations in the future. That's the hope. Yeah, that's the hope. And I think that's the value of this book because I don't Mm -hmm. think this is everyone's experience, but I think there are really great examples of conversations. Like there's one with Ayers aunt who's like a hardcore feminist and mm-hmm. um, you think like, like sixties, like seventies burning bra feminist kind of thing. Um, and you'd think that this aunt would be the most receptive or the most open-minded, but it was actually one of the people in Maya's life who fought back the most, like, you know, mm-hmm. on that individual level was like, cause they just didn't understand that Maya being non-binary had nothing to do with hating women. <laughs> the mm-hmm. aunt felt like it was a rejection of womanhood and it was anti-feminist. And that was really fascinating. Cause I was like, wow, the other side is like way intense about this too. And that was a helpful conversation. And Maya was like, I don't think they're ever going to understand. And but <laughs> to be I fair, as a non-binary person, I, yeah. I appreciated that bit being brought up in that. Like I, it's important for me to check my biases about gender and recognize the inherent misogyny that I was raised with and how that did or didn't affect my gender identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's because so I mean, gender is a social contra- construct, right? So Absolutely. the, the way that you are um, introduced to those genders and explained they are explained to you is of course going to influence the way that you respond to them. And I do love occasionally just from like a, a writing standpoint. um, At first I felt like Maya avoided answering that question from the aunt, which is being like, Hey, like, are you sure it's not internalized misogyny or whatever? Um, But I feel like it opens up because, because Maya did not have an answer for her there air aunt um it opens up a mirror like you were saying Linnea of just recognizing hold on let me think about this like is it or is it not uh and then also coming to realize the environment that you were raised in mm-hmm. yeah which yeah. speaking of Maya's environment they were uh, it were was raised in <laughs> I had a lot what? of issues. With I had hundred percent issues. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is not this is not the one. This is not the vibe that's going to help people understand people." Because my read was like, as a cynic, I was like, oh, "Okay, back to the commune situation, Linnea." <laughs> no, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I was like, "Okay, you raised your kid on a commune. I that's not safe, a eh? like in this. I just was so stressed." the entire time and I was like and I was like also like parents you didn't teach your child about periods you didn't teach your child about anything hygiene wise that like could have saved this kid a lot of embarrassment and I was like how is that informing their gender identity and not saying like to diminish that but I was just frustrated about the commune because whenever someone comes from a commune it like totally 
I'm like, this is not a helpful, relatable story. It's just, it's just like the, cheese. Cheese it's and custard. Cheese. <laughs> I just felt like the parents were like really neglectful. That was my issue. And I was like. Really? I had I did. such an opposite reaction. I, oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Let's tell hear. us more. I saw um, the way Maya uh, portrayed her parents and uh, their childhood. And yeah. I was like, oh, what a dream. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. this this is incredible. Obviously, there wasn't really um, all the language and information about gender yeah. identity and um, sexual identity back then. Yeah. But, like, what open-minded people to be raised yeah. by like mm. i What's safe yeah vividly remember thinking uh reading that the word transgender entered uh maya's vocabulary before middle school uh when they read about transgender magic in air mom's pagan magazines whoa <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like I didn't find out about the word transgender until I was in my mid twenties, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even then, with um, incredibly negative con- connotations. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. I think um, something that I wish would have been included in the book was why. So, in the first like 20, 30 pages, we're getting Maya's childhood and um, like from birth to like air for air's first period. And, um, and there's a part in it that talks about how Maya can't read or couldn't read even until air was a was a, a was 11. E was 11. E was 11. Thank you. Yeah. E was 11. Um, and I, to me, I read that as like, Oh, these parents have neglected this child. And that oh. was really frustrating me. Later mm-hmm. on, I learned it was because Maya was dyslexic. Yes. But we Maya's never dyslexic. established that in the book. And I yeah. was frustrated about that because I read that as like, oh my gosh, this is like an ignorant commune situation where they're not <laughs> teaching, you know, where they're not teaching Maya about deodorant, body, deodorant, <laughs> yeah, hygiene, and also like, and also not even reading, like education is not important here. And that's when I was like, oh, so that's, that was the connotation for me. Oh, I, I didn't now. get that because I was, I, I thought it was, uh, the story of Air's mom reading Harry Potter to them as kids and the fact that um, E really got good at reading when E tried to, like, get ahead of the pace the mom was reading yeah. at. Yeah, so, Which is, like, uh, yeah. I mean, a fairly universal experience, I think, right. mm-hmm. across our Potter generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I totally That's read what it I as, like, into wow. Reading. Wow, Maya can't read. Cool. Uh-uh. At 11 years old. Interesting. Interesting parents. Maybe you should focus. <laughs> so I was like, and I think it's because I have just a natural bias against, um, against like, communes. Hi- not even communes, just about like hippie parents that are like mm-hmm. so chill. I just have, because I'm always like, there's not a lot of safety for those kids. And mm-hmm. it stresses me out. So the whole rest of the book was like colored with that of me being like those oh, parents. And that interesting. was a shame. I wish that, um, I wish that Maya had explained the dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Um, because that would have like definitely healed that feeling of like, oh wow, they don't value um, his education at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, very cool, very cool. 
And um, so that was my one critique, not my one, that was one of my critiques about the information that was included versus the information that was left out. Because mm. mm-hmm. mm. I had to dig for that. No. What was your int- your take from it, Eden? Uh, similar. So I didn't I didn't realize the dyslexic part as well, and yeah, I just felt a lot of secondhand embarrassment when the <gasps> guidance counselor came up to him oh. and was just like, "Hey, hey, you stink!" Like, <laughs> I'm just like, "Oh no!" Like. <sighs> This child didn't know about deodorant uh, and like had the conversation was just like, hey, you, your body's going to go through some changes. Uh, you're going to start stinking in places that you never stunk before. You're going to start bleeding from places you never bled yeah. before or it's didn't be know blood could come from. Like, <laughs> I never had any of those conversations. Did you not? I, I actually did have a guidance counselor. Uh, explain deodorant to me. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Um, to be clear, my parents are uh very involved and very like pro education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I I'm on the autism spectrum, and those things just mm. weren't. I didn't pick up. You things know, weren't important. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They weren't the most important things for you at that time. <laughs> yeah. Like, if yeah. it didn't have to do with a fantasy novel, what's the point? <laughs> I remember on sleepovers, your mom would come in and be like, Linnea, put that book down. You have friends over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> that's so funny. Or uh, I remember you w- you told me that you would hide a book in, like, the nice little fancy boxes in your bathrooms. Like, yes! the decorative ones. Yes! Black be- because you'd be you'd be grounded from reading. Oh, that, yes. was uh, that was your punishment. That was that was Linnea's punishment. Yep. Yeah. And so she, yeah. Like, Linnea's been in there for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my siblings all At knew what, what point I was do doing. We take them to the doctors. <laughs> Another part of the book that I really appreciated as someone who like just hasn't been exposed to being non-binary at all was um. Like, going to the gynecologist is already uncomfortable. It's very awkward. I don't suggest it. I do for her, <laughs> but I don't think it's a fun time. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's painful. It's the worst. Um, but reading about Maya's experiences of absolute horror was so different than my experiences I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know I'm fairly comfortable with my body, but, like, but the idea of being that uh, triggered... I want to say, and I don't want to overuse that word, but there was like that kind of level of like trauma associated with going to um, the OBGYN. And that was really helpful for me to understand how severe this feeling is inside of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it's, yeah, that there's, there's something going on that I cannot relate to. Therefore, mm. I should not have a say about it. <laughs> like the only time I've been, you know, I've been like close to being like traumatized is like at an OBGYN is because it's reminded me of like, you know, like I think a lot of assault survivors have a hard time at OBGYNs, but this is mm-hmm. a different situation. This was more about just the body itself mm-hmm. um, and acknowledging that. And that was so different for me. And I like could not even... It was, it was just like brand new information for me. So I was really grateful for that. The horror of the period, because I feel horror about my period every day, but, <laughs> but this was different too. And I don't like the only way you can really understand it is just by reading this book. Like I can't, I can't, I don't have the words to express how deeply this was felt by Maya. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So for me, it was like helpful to realize like, oh, I'm an alien to this person, <laughs> to Maya. <laughs> yeah. My experiences are very alien to Maya and I don't understand. And that's what this book taught me. And that was really helpful for me. I, I really felt like the graphic novel format uh, offered a venue for conveying some yes. of the upsetting, like how absolutely uh, distraught these situations yes. uh, can make one feel uh, in a visual medium. Um, yes. Like uh, it specifically, uh, I remember the portrayal, it, uh, Maya drew images of a recurring nightmare that they have mm-hmm. of uh, just like their period, just like going forever and just like pools yeah. of blood and then draws it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah for you. And you can like, <laughs> You, you are able to, like, experience it as a horrific experience, even though yeah. it's a dream you may not have had. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I so appreciate that. My problem then came – okay, and this is a lot of people's problem. And I don't, I don't know if I actually can say it's my problem, but this is my question. I feel like the graphic imagery was too much for me when it came to actual like sexual intercourse and exploring that experience. Mm. For me, mm-hmm. I was like, if I was a 12-year-old or 13-year-old or 14-year-old, like I just feel like the age was really complicated. And I get why a lot of parents were like, ah, oh, especially if they've only seen that part. I thought like, and I love Maya's, Maya will be writing this same kind of story for a younger audience, but, um, but because it's graphic, I don't know. I don't know. So I just, I want to hear your guys' thoughts because that is the argument that was brought up to Congress when this book was presented, um, mm-hmm. was, were those pages specifically, um, claiming that they were pornographic. And, um, from my perspective, I did feel that they were a little bit pornographic, but I also knew that there was a point to why it was in the book. Like I understood that. Um, so I, I want to understand the line and at how how we aged this book. Mm-hmm. And would you give this to your like 14-year-old child who is trying to figure this out about themselves? I don't so, you know, I don't know there if there's a right answer for any of that, but I want to hear your perspective. So um first are we talking about uh the oh, scene let me find you. with their one the one time that they had a like long time relationship? Yeah, I think so. Uh huh. <laughs> are we talking about so the strap on? Let's well, just. I think. Oh yeah, I think we're talking about the strap, strap on. on. That's what we're talking yeah. about. I yeah. think we're talking about the strap on. And when airs, he's having airs first, um, like real life in person sexual experience with airs, uh, partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The strap on situation. So first, I want to point out that um, pornography is. <sighs> At, give, me, at, give me your answers. At its base, a genre of uh, media. Mm-hmm. So genre definitions are always going to be fuzzy. I'm However, so happy you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, pornography is generally intended. Um, this is one way of defining the genre. One yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pornography is intended to be used as a tool for arousal and um, sexual stimulation. Mm -hmm. 
And I do not think that was remotely the intention behind these no, scenes. No, I don't think so. So I don't yeah. think anyone's going yeah. <laughs> going to look at these scenes and uh, use them in private time with themselves. Uh, <laughs> I do think you underestimate young, te- awkward teenagers. <laughs> but I see. I see. But at that point, where do you where do you draw a line? But I do yes. see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Um. And uh, to be fair, I am like. I do identify as asexual, so maybe that's my bias. <laughs> and also Maya does as well. So that yes. could also be why it's hard to understand that line of imagery. Because I think the graphic nature of it, the graphic as in pictures, um, mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. of it is an interesting medium. And I, I think that's been the, the complaint for a lot of people and even a lot of like liberal readers is like, it felt to the word graphic is going to be used in lots of different definitions right now. I think remembering that this author, that the intention is neither simulation or to shock or awe and that the impact is dependent on the reader. And I think that just goes back to like parents and kids just need to know what and their boundaries are. Yes. And I, I yeah. think uh, if you think about um, the fault in our stars or, um, yes. One that's especially uh, top of mind for me is Middlesex mm-hmm. by Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, like, there are scenes of much greater detail in the written words yes. um, than, like, I, I believe Maya in this context was wearing underwear. Um, yes. No, 100%. There's a lot of coverage. Yes. No, no body parts are shown. <laughs> no real body parts are shown. No real body yeah. parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so What's real though? You know. <laughs> I, do, I do find it interesting how much the adaptation, the, the disparity, I, I would call it a double standard between written word and images yes. that exist. Um, I used to work for a library, which I shall not name, Um, where I was tasked with reading every graphic novel that we added to the collection to check for nudity. Um, Whereas we had a full suite of uh, Harlequin romance novels sitting on the shelf. (laughs) See, okay, that is the statement that I want to like make into a bumper sticker because I think that, I think that that argument, well, not acknowledging the argument has been caused to also say men are more sexual, women are less because historically, and I don't even know if this is true, but the, the, the general understanding in like the layman's world is that like men will view pornography, women will read it, but the viewing is more dangerous than the reading. And I don't even think that binary is fair at all, but I, but that has been kind of the talk of the town since the eighties, since whatever her name is and so like i just or since the 70s so but yeah that double standard is ridiculous and how important to recognize that double standard and those gender stereotypes in a book about being (laughs) non-binary i also have this thought if this book had nothing to do with gender identity if this was about straight people figuring out how they feel about their future partner um this would not be banned. I, I Maybe it would be occasionally, but not to the severity that it has been. I think that the only reason why people are looking at it or even pulling it off the shelves to find that one page 
is because it's called genderqueer. If it was called Maya's Journey, I don't think a lot of parents would even know it exists. Um, pro- <laughs> I I would want to look up and check comparable rates yeah. for Matt Fraken- Fraction's comic series, Sex Criminals. Okay, let me look it up right now. <laughs> um, which is uh, in, in many similar veins to this memoir, but uh, is about straight people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, let's find out. Because, so it says here, it's been, Time honored it as the number one comic series in 2013. IGN um, said that the story is so addictive, you'll find yourself at staring at the last page in horror when you realize you'll have to wait another month to read what happens next. Um, everyone does such an amazing job um, talking about turning a sexual awakening into compelling pulp fiction. Um it is, however, according to libraries, uh, American Library Association, the hardcover release was the seventh most banned and challenged book in the United States in 2016, okay. due to it being considered. But only the seventh most, and that was only in 2016. Well, so whereas this is the most banned book, yeah, Gender Queer is the most banned for the last couple of years. Really? Yeah, number one. Last couple number years. Yeah. one. Wow. I am. Yeah. That's why we're asking okay. these tough questions, Linnea, because a lot of people are very disturbed and they shouldn't be. But it's well, just it's I mean, because of that one. I really think it's just because of that one page. I think it's because of that, that one about, page. It's, it ha- it's called gender queer. Because I really don't think it would have been found on those <laughs> shelves. I really don't think so. much more explicit panels in sex criminals. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm 100% sure. And I'm sure that the there is more shock and awe in sex criminals than there is in gender queer, you know? There's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a comedy. But um, yeah. Um, kind of backtracking because I was a little off mic because <laughs> I'm nursing right now. <laughs> but I think the going back to the pornography conversation of oh, like yeah. what is considered pornography, mm-hmm. uh, I think something i find is just the lack of uh understanding of the definitions that people are throwing out there so like pornography is one of them mm-hmm. communism is another <laughs> you know it's just kind of um little like i remember reading that someone had called judy bloom and it's like oh did you write that are you there god it's me margaret book and she said yeah i did and the person calling said well you're a communist <laughs> for writing about <laughs> girls with periods. <laughs> well, um, and not then, wrong. Like, also, <laughs> well, it is red. Menstrual cycles, yeah. <laughs> Colors don't lie. <laughs> wow, this is nonsense. But, but we have to like nonsense. Yeah. But like, even with Mouse, which is about the Holocaust, and yeah. also another graphic novel, people yeah. called that pornographic <laughs> because it had um scenes in the gas chambers where yeah. some of the mice had or were nude mm-hmm. i think uh, we quoted art spiegelman saying hey if you get your kicks from that i think there's another conversation <laughs> to be had like <laughs> there's, yeah there are other issues yeah. here yeah. yeah i kind of wanted to bring up uh some of the uh books maya specifically talks about yes um as <laughs> I, I remember vividly uh, the 
Maya gets into theater and learns about the importance of being earnest. And uh, there's a scene of them going, or M, sorry, going to their local library and mm-hmm. being, looking at all the Oscar Wilde biographies and going, yes. but which one is the most gay? <laughs> Yeah, and they, there's even a drawing of Oscar Wilde that kills me. Oh, it's so funny. It's when like, it, like it. hair oh, yeah. blowing in the breeze, sparkles. Laying yes. on this, like, it's so yes. funny. Yes, reclined. Uh, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, I also read and write gay fan fiction like Maya, so <laughs> this is incredibly relatable. <laughs> Did you go through the, a similar journey? Something that was interesting was seeing um, Maya go through the. Sorry, my headphone just stopped, just died. But Maya going through like, am I gay? Am I? What am I? What? What do I feel? Is this normal to feel? What's happening next? And every time Maya's world expanded a little bit more, like um, you would join a different club or go to a group and meet another person who had a different expression. And to the very end, when you met someone who used the E-air um, pronouns, and it was like, okay, we finally like answered, solved that puzzle. And now we're going to solve this next puzzle. And it was just really, it was really uh really nice for me to keep getting closure on these different questions that Maya had about. Um, Imagine if that's your life. Oh my gosh. I have those about like my own self, but I can't even imagine about like the space that I'm occupying and how I'm supposed to occupy space. I think women have an interesting experience to people who biologically have uteruses. Um, You know, I think that we automatically have an interesting like how am I, am I supposed to be aggressive? Am I supposed to not, you know, like we're asking that question and I picked and I felt like Maya was on that on like steroids. Like, yeah. I, I it mean, was like part of it is universal trillion. In, yeah. in coming of age, but, micros- um, but like under a microscope was each yes, of those emotions so much more strong and intense in, in, um, rejecting the gender binary, you yeah. also reject shortcuts. So there's mm. shortcut, like woman on a bathroom sign has a little skirt, you know, yeah. and that is a shortcut that means woman. Yeah. Um, and when you decide that you don't subscribe to that or the other side, suddenly there are no shortcuts. You're inventing yeah. what you are from scratch. It's so creative. It's so, if you, it, to me, it's like the essence of like God. It's very creative. <laughs> I know that seems great. Like that seems, um, that seems intense, but it really is like the most creative and like using your full ability to make decisions and all of those things to create what's right for you. You have to be, re- you have to really trust yourself and be really interrogate yourself. And like and I you said, can't be passive. Of- Part of that is just being a person and learning yeah. who you are, but there is an extra level to it. Yeah. Um, if you are rejecting what society is telling you, it's really brave. Not only to be, but that exists. Yeah. It's really, really, really brave. It's really beautiful and inspiring. So we need straight people to read this. Yeah. <laughs> we can all be I was jerks. A <laughs> agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I was reading an interview with Maya and a said 
um, there are two types of stories. Stories can be mirrors of ourselves or windows to other people. That's why we need all types of stories. And I think, uh, like, that is an example. Like, we're, we're seeing that uh, in this little group right now. Like, mm. Linnea sees a mirror. We see windows. Um, and I saw a window straight to Linnea. I was like, this is Linnea. <laughs> Oh my god. The the scene where um Maya is shopping for underwear. Yeah. And they're like getting their six pack and knowing they're going to throw away or give to their sister the pink ones. I was like, yes. <laughs> Why did they put those pink ones in there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Air sister, sorry. You're, we are, we're learning. We're all working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really liked um, how uh, Maya herself talks about um, doing, getting pronouns, re- learning, teaching yourself pronouns with the example of Michelle Gilman, one of their animation teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the fact that you'd, you might uh, correct someone be like, they, because oh, Michelle yeah. Gilman uses they, them pronouns. Yeah. And then turn around and make that same mistake yourself. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's it, it gets easier. It's a relearning, retraining your brain process. I love that. It was such a humble perspective. I feel yes. like sometimes when I'm learning, when I'm reading from... Um, uh, which is what I'm reading. Sometimes people can be really preachy in their writing. I think the mm. best writers are not preachy, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're telling a story and being very real mm-hmm. about it. But yeah. some but there are times, especially right now, some books are being published that are just very preachy from a very liberal perspective and um like on the verge of like, I'm doing this right. If you don't do this, you're gonna be canceled. And it's not that hard to do it right. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt so compassionate both to herself and both to everyone else who's reading it. It mm-hmm. felt like the intention of this book was to be like, this was my experience. That's it. The pronoun thing was like so gracious. And so it gave me so much more courage to try, even if I do make mistakes. Um, and it gave me on the opposite side of it. Mm-hmm. It made me feel less bad about all the times where I don't correct people. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because like, in addition to like, well, that feels not great that you called me that, uh, on top of that, there's a little bit of this, like social pressure, um, to, to be an educator and to put it out there. And, um, I, I don't want to feel like not just the, the bad feeling of someone misgendering me, but on top of that, like the guilt of and like pressure to do something about it Mm -hmm. um when maybe i might want that day i'm just not that brave yeah yeah i'm not feeling brave today yeah whatever (laughs) yeah sometimes i can't be the voice the social justice warrior yeah the one who teaches this person i can't always Mm -hmm. like i just can't for whatever reason and i um yeah, I, I think that's ugh, what a great book, though. Honestly, it, it it really covers so many different pieces to what we're experiencing as a society if we want to learn how to 
respect each other. So I'm actually really curious as someone who read this book and was like, it, it was enjoyable to read. I kept laughing because I yeah. was like, yes, that's right on point. Um, but it, it wasn't nothing in it felt like new information to me. Nothing in it was surprising. So I'm really curious for, for people coming from uh, totally different gender identity and sexual identity backgrounds. What was surprising? What's what felt like new information to you? Do you want to go first, Eden? Sure. I'm not sure if I thought it was new because I know you, Linnea. I think that was <laughs> I think that was the really interesting part was like, oh, this reminds me of Linnea. And I feel like it had a window into what you have experienced growing up uh, and in your 20s. Um, and now, yeah. And now you as a fully actualized... <laughs> I'm still in the process. Maybe we're all much more, much more actualized than our teenage, teenage selves. You know, yes, I would say so. Um, If anything, it it made me look at nerddom, nerddom, as a very safe place for non-binary people, Uh, and so like. And for me as a parent to recognize that as a safe place, like if my children ever are uh, come out as non-binary, I'll be like, hey, let me show you a community that seems really safe. And like, I might totally be overgeneralizing, but I feel like like fan fiction seems to attract like a certain crowd of people that are much more accepting of all people. Or like I'll walk into Dragon's Keep and I'll see trans kids and I'm like, wow, like I haven't seen trans kids out and about so fully themselves. Um, and and to our listeners, Dragon's Keep is our local nerd shop. But <laughs> Yeah, it's the local gaming store, Magic the Gathering, Commander Nights every Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I haven't lived in Utah in like ten years, but I still remember Dragon's Keep. <laughs> um so on that note, I actually wanted to talk about gender and cosplay. Yeah. There's a scene in Gender Queer where Maya decides that they want to, if they could dress up like anyone, they would want to dress up like Johnny Ware, the figure skater. And so they spend all this time um, working on a costume and then they get in their costume, air costume and... He said that it was the sexiest they ever felt. Um, So for me, very much so, cosplay was a method of playing with gender and finding which expressions felt most like my own. Because there is a standard that exists in society that a girl can't show up in a tux to certain events and a boy can't show up in a dress. Whereas at a convention, in a costume, or on Halloween, those rules are suspended. So being able to dress the way that I wanted to dress for the first time was so empowering for me. I I was 
cosplaying like fantasy characters, but they were always, always male. And my mother noticed this and was like, why don't you try cosplaying some girls sometime? And I was like, no. <laughs> because I would not have wanted that taken away from me. The freedom to be myself for a weekend at a convention. And it wouldn't have been the same if I had been dressed up as a female character. And recognizing that fact was what helped me start to recognize the fact that I was not gender conforming. That's awesome. That's so interesting because I, I just don't identify with any of that. <laughs> like, well, Nicole, Chris- it reminds me of our uh, D&D episode where um, <laughs> one of the one of our guests they yeah. they played with a teenager who uh, who was exploring um, their gender. Yeah, just Dungeons finding a and way Dragons to and Pathfinder and video games are another space where that expectation is suspended. Yeah. Where if if you want to role play a male character in these role play games, you can. If you want to yeah. role play a female character, you can, and no one's going to stop you or even look twice at you for doing it. Yeah. I mean, and I think we can also speak to, like, there is a lot of sexism still in the fantasy world, (laughs) which we see, you know, there's still some misogyny. And I think, like, so it's not like just joining, it'll be a great place. But I do think it is a really amazing space to explore that for sure. Uh, One of the references that Maya makes in one of the last pages of the book, uh, when he's talking about... uh, Embracing a wardrobe that includes elements that might get M misgendered more, but were what E actually wanted to wear. Uh, E brings up mentions Taco from the Adventure Zone, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Um, And uh, Taco the Wizard is a like flamboyantly gay man. Well, elf, actually. <laughs> and the a lot of um, modern, recent actual play podcasts do have people experimenting with repre- representation and gender expression in ways that you maybe couldn't in other mediums. That's so cool. That makes me so happy. As, as someone who reads and writes queer fan fiction archive of our own i recommend as relatively for the internet an incredibly safe space cool cool that's what i want i want a good list for people because i'm afraid of people like jumping into something and it's like the most misogynistic space and then being like well i thought this was supposed to be safe (laughs) you know yeah that's a good point that's like yeah, mm-hmm. we're still we're still evolving into that space. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it's getting better. There, there's still there's still misogyny. There's still yeah, and there's just like the internet is in oh, an anonymous, a- acrid place in general. Yes. You know, yes. Um, and and that is going to be true for that is a. Uh, social pressure that is present on any platform or in any context. Yes. 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 Um, but it does take courage. I think, I think the courage of people like you, Linnea and of Maya 
and who are willing to be to represent your truths and who you are with authenticity will keeps making these spaces safer for people. And I think that's beautiful. So thank you for that. And the fact that you're willing to have these conversations (laughs) with us. Thank you for that too. Um, My big takeaway from this book was I have a hard time because I, I don't, really think of myself as like a deeply like sexual person. So I've always been like, am I asexual? I don't know. Um, my, um, because I'm just not one of those people that's like, that I don't really understand that, that, uh, expectation that the media gives you for being mm-hmm. a woman in her thirties or late twenties. Um, and so especially like a single woman, like I'm just not interested. I'm just like tired. And I'm like, that's not, that gives me anxiety, <laughs> stress. And it's just not one of my values. So I'd rather um, eat cake. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the book to me was helpful for me to understand that I'm not asexual. (laughs) There's something else going on there that I don't understand. And same thing with being asexual. There's something else there that I cannot quite grasp, even though I'm like woke (laughs) per se, you know, big quotations. Cause what does that mean today? Um, but that was my takeaway is like, I just, I really don't know what people are going through and I need to be better with sharing my pronouns to give space to share, have other people share theirs. And also like, um, it's, it's exciting to me to see more, more people not feeding into those expectations. Cause Maya's experience gives me freedom to express myself the way I want to, even if it's not the same. And I really would love for my friends and family to feel the same way. I think mm-hmm. yeah. we need more representation. It, it blesses not to use that like religious language, but it blesses everyone. <laughs> When there is representation, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're more empowered to be ourselves. It's, and I, oh, oh, go ahead, Eden. I like that you mentioned that, um, like reading this book helped you realize that you were not asexual because that goes back to the mirrors and windows. Like, even though surface level, this, you, like, one would assume, oh, this will be just a window for Nicole. But this, this also was a mirror of yourself. And you realize, actually, that is not me. Um, and that is just as helpful as looking at a mirror and be like, that is me. Totally. Um, yeah, Lene. I, on your previous episode, I heard you guys talking about ratings for books. Yes, yes. Um, which is a thing I'd love to talk to you about. Uh, if we're talking about the delineation of what is a children's book, a middle grade book, a YA book, a so um, the the categories or buckets uh, can be subdivided, but here are the general ones. You start off with uh, picture books, easy readers, and then children's. After children's, you'd have middle grade books. That'd be like um, Gregor the Overlander or... I think Are You There? Well, would Are yeah, You There God be considered? That would be middle grade, yes. Yeah. Um, and so would the Warrior Cats books, things like that. And then um, Young Adult is intended for a teen audience. So you'd think The Hunger Games uh, or uh, the Bartimaeus trilogy or my my references are so dated. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Shatter me. There, there's a recent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then you get to new adult, which is an emerging category um, pioneered by authors like Rainbow Roy- Royale. 
um, which is targeting people who are in college. Okay. For example, uh, a lot of John Green's books would be considered new new adult. Um, oh. Though some of his are YA, it they yeah. they vary. They tend to be a lot more realistic and try to portray naturalistic human interactions. Yeah, like when um, a tree grows in Brooklyn, be a new adult. Yes. Okay. Yes. Whereas YA is all about heightened emotions and uh, hyperbole, new adult is much more like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. Now what? That's yeah. new. Adult. Okay. So would gender queer be considered new adult? I would probably think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think that's the big issue is people are mad at the rating that it's in that it's made for like high schoolers. So yes. I don't I don't understand that. So okay. I, I got really sidetracked explaining these, and I shouldn't do that because I do have a thing to say, which is these aren't ratings. These are oh. marketing categories. Oh, okay. These are individual publishers deciding this will sell best to, insert blank here. Oh. These are in no way like the MPAA saying there's this content, so it's PG-13. Yeah. It isn't not even close it's just a sales tactic that is all it is money 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 there are no (laughs) rules there are no regulations about what is a child children's book versus a middle grade it's entirely based on what will sell and the default um that people use to delineate these though there are exceptions to be sure is how old is the protagonist mm. okay uh, because people like to read books that have a little bit of that mirror aspect yeah. so they like yeah. to read about people their own age or two years older than them yeah and different publishers might have guidelines about what you are allowed to include okay. in a certain in order to be able to market the book under that category, but that is publisher by publisher. So for example, like some Christian publishers won't allow you to include swearing in a YA book, but that is entirely based on the, the publisher's desired audience. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes total sense. What does the ALA, because does the ALA tell libraries what sections the book should be in? Or like, what is that? Okay, so no one is telling (laughs) anyone. So how does a librarian choose that? Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, We put books into the section where they, we think people will look for them. Okay, just like a normal retail experience. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. Yeah. It is a retail yeah. experience is yeah. what you're doing. Um, and for example, for certain titles that are popular among multiple age groups, we will yeah. often have multiple copies and shelf them in both sections. Mm. So oh. for example, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, you can find a copy in YA and you can find an, an, a copy in adult sci-fi. Oh, wow. This changes the whole conversation because a lot of people have argued that it's played, that genderqueer should be banned because it's in the locations for young readers. Um, 
that so the question should shouldn't be should it be banned it should just be what location of the library should it be in yes exactly yeah. there's what there's shelf no- should it be on yes exactly and um for example at the library i most recently worked at if someone was having trouble with something uh an item uh we almost always would give them a form to complain about its location rather than it in general yeah because, for example, if you're finding something you consider um, pornographic in the children's comics section, well, we're not going to we're not going to remove access to that item, but maybe we will move it to our young adult comics section. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense, and I think that that, that changes the argument and gives people more power. I, it's not about we don't have to do the all or nothing thing. Yes, like because exactly. for me. I was like, yeah, I don't think if I had a, tw- like, I don't think my 12 year old niece should read this right now. I think that's, no. this would be really intense for her, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> I think, I think like, but I love the idea of giving a different language, a different, giving people a different tool to mm-hmm. talk about how their children are getting access to different things. I love yes. that of like, yes, can this be put into a different shelf? We don't feel comfortable with my child having access to it at this age yes. in this area. Yes. And you're I saying like, that. this doesn't seem like it's appropriate to put yeah. next to the dog man comics. I, <laughs> I agree. This should yeah. not be sitting next to dog man. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I but love sh- that. Should there be access? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, a hundred percent. And there should be, absolutely. And I think I like the idea that Maya is writing a book that should be in the shelves for young readers <laughs> as well. So hopefully we'll have both, you know? Um, yeah. Like, um, personally, if I were doing the cataloging uh, for this book, I would put it in new adult and in YA, probably. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And YA does tend to be older teens, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're putting in Fault in Our Stars or whatever, then. Exactly. And uh, as another example, uh, Sarah J. Mass, uh, who. <laughs> you didn't know, like, the fairy smut is what they're calling yes, it? Yes, fairy smut. Yes, that, that's pretty accurate. Um, started as a YA author. Um, and her books have included more and more sexual content as they continue, but they continue in many libraries to be shelved in YA because that's where people would think to look for them. Okay, that makes sense. That makes so it's all retail decisions. I love yep. this. This is so much easier to communicate with people about. Like now yep. I have a better answer of like when they have a complaint <laughs> about something. Like this is really yep. helpful. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I don't have anything else to say about this book, though. Do you have anything else, Eden? Uh, nothing else. Do you? Yeah, I'm Linnea for. I wanted t- to say, do you have any, like, here's the spontaneous ask me anything any questions for me as a librarian can we do can we do one can we have you on again and do a librarian yeah. chat oh totally because i would librarian like to prepare chat and questions the comics. yeah if we could do both of those because i would like to prepare questions because i think there's a lot of things about and i need to do research because there's a lot of questions i have about how libraries actually work how books come in what the process is for banning what is a librarian's job 
because I keep hearing things from people who are like mad about this podcast and they're like, well, librarians are just forcing kids to read this stuff. And I've been like, in what world? When was the last time you've been to a library? When was the last time a library ever approached you? A librarian ever approached you in the first place? I have to like hunt them down. Like they're busy. They're not like just trying to like, you know, baby bird books to me. So I don't know. You know, so like, could so you I imagine would like, if it was like actually like a retail experience and like a librarian followed you, like you the second to, you walked in? Do you need any help? Do you need any help? Yeah. So <laughs> I would love to to just like answer those about your experiences as a librarian and what your job has actually entailed because I really think no one knows. And that's and if yeah. we could get more information, then maybe people will be sad when they shut down libraries. I mm-hmm. I would love to do like and ask me anything as a librarian. Okay, yeah, that would we would be great. We would love that. So let's schedule that whenever you're ready. Um, I don't have any other questions about this book though. If you have references or or like links to something that you think would be helpful for our listeners, um, mm-hmm. send those to Eden and um, and I'm gonna. Burn This Book is produced by us, Nicola Corin and Eden Wen. Music by myself, Nicole, and performed by my dad, Frank.